next this not a hate watch with the with the hate watch it doesn't work it's confusing from now on you'll just be called she's an actress whoa as in she's an actress whoa what happened to the hate watch Hello, welcome to She's an Actress. This is our new podcast format where we're going to be going through some of the movies of actress Charlize Theron. Yes, this is the first actress that we've picked. Um, It won't be our only one. However, when we were discussing this, um, Alice threw out some names and said, okay, well, my, my name when we come to it would be Charlize Theron. She said, no, 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 no. That is the first actress that we're going to be doing. So we've carved a really wonderful 10 movie set featuring some films that we've seen, some films that we haven't seen. Obviously, a mix of both of those for ours. So I'm just excited to relive some of my favorites and see some new stuff I've never seen before, including this film. And we and we started so we started with this movie. This this was also kind of just a backdoor for me to find a way to make you watch this movie because I really love this movie. Uh, that thing you do is the movie that we're talking about today. The uh, 1995 Tom Hanks classic, starring um, Tom Everett Scott and Liv Tyler and um, Ethan Embry and and Steve Zahn and a bunch of other people. Um, Kevin Pollock's in there for like a minute. Um, and, Tom and, Hanks and, and also is in it. Yes, yes, Tom Hanks also and and then also. Um, very early in her career, Charlize Theron in a very small role. And I had you watch the director's cut, which has extra Charlize footage that wasn't in the, in the theatrical cut of the movie. Um, I'm sure you could understand why. Um, Missy, what did you think of this movie? So this is my first time experiencing this film, but having an idea of what the plot was. I knew it was about a one hit wonder that made a song titular song that thing you do i realized watching the film i had seen one scene from it which is probably the most famous scene the radio scene where they're hearing it on the first time which out of context i thought was delightful and in context i thought was even more delightful i think my take is i could have done without the 40 extra minutes of footage barring the fact that that is where we get the extra Charlize. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It the, It's really shaggy. The director's cut is very shaggy. Well, I think the thing for me is not a lot happens in this movie. There's yeah. not a lot of dramatic tension in the sense of it's a very straightforward rise and it's not even really a fall because they sort of just amicably break up at the end because they all are just doing yeah. their own thing. There's a little bit of of tension but like yeah for the most part i i don't know it just sort of meandered for me i think it's okay. very slice of life so yeah. i understand this is what the the intention of, of of tom hanks we should say this was written and directed by tom hanks this was his debut yep. directorial debut um so i think for me i just was I don't know if I wanted a little bit more comedy, a little bit more drama, but it is sort of just what it is. Um, I didn't hate it by any means. It's not. It's not really a film you can hate on. It's the the characters are very charming. Um, yeah. They all are very distinct and I think playful. But it was just like 
there were just times I was like, okay, let's get moving. Let's get moving to the, I want to sure. see what's going on next. I'm sort of get, I get what's going on here with these characters and scenes. And that's where I feel like I was feeling the 40 minutes that got added in there somewhere. And yeah. I don't, you know, having obviously not seen the original, I don't know what cuts those were. I saw, I looked a little bit at what was added, but it was sort of, it was generic. Um, but the, the scenes with Charlize, I think were fantastic. This is an out yes. of the gate, solid performance. It's an, it's an actress who's doing exactly what she needs to do for this role yes. and what she's asked. She, so she's playing the uh, girlfriend of Guy Patterson, who is the drummer for The Wonders, and they are already established as a couple when the movie starts, and she is kind of seen as like very aloof, and she's into Guy, but not really into what he's doing. She's not really into the music at all. Um it's one of those things where there's a scene there's a scene early on where after the after the talent show which they win, they get invited to play at uh Villa Piano's this this restaurant by the airport. And yeah. She said, and then when he asks her what she's doing next Saturday, she actually says, "I'm going to go see my my boyfriend play," which comes as a surprise almost to the audience because it's like she's just not interested. She's not into this at all. Yeah, well, because in fact, there's a point where during the the radio scene, which we talked about earlier, he asks her, "Hey, did you hear it on the radio?" And she's like, "Oh, no, no, I missed it. I wasn't really listening. Oh, it was on the radio. Oh, that's that's nice for you. You know, really just yeah. muted." response yeah. and so you're sort of like oh okay um i mean th- that response is basically how a lot of the other people around guy's life like his, his family especially react um like when he says he's gonna go on tour his his dad just casually dismisses it like oh yeah no you know you know go play a bang on your bongo drums just um, leave me in the lurch here in my yeah. uh, furniture store uh, uh appliance, appliance store, store yeah. that's right yeah yeah um, but yeah, and I think part of the reason why the Charlize character I think is important, because like, like there's a world where you could say like, okay, we don't really need this, but I think it, it's to demonstrate that both Guy and Faye, the character played by Liv Tyler, are in these relationships that they think are good for them when when they're not, and 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 that's what's 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 keeping them from seeing one another, despite the fact that they have like sizzling chemistry throughout the whole movie. Um, yeah, and it's, I was going to say, Charlize is essentially a foil for yes. Liv Tyler's character. And a contrast to the enthusiasm that Faye has for the band and for the creative process. And uh, it it was interesting. I thought that Faye might develop to have a more of a stronger, like, she's going to be more of a influence on the band or more involved. But she sure. really is just sort of not detached from the creative process and is just a a big fan and slash you know girlfriend well, of the lead singer I, 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 I think I disagree a little bit she is the one who suggests that guy should fill in when the original drummer breaks his arm that is true that is and true. and she and she's the one who when he says he says something about how it's a wonder that is when she she decides that they should be called the the wonders because Jimmy really wants a, a pun for his his band name. You're, um, you're right. I did forget those contributions. I, I was thinking like song wise, creative wise, like direction. Sure. But I mean, that's... they don't even really cover that that much. Like that's no, part of the tension of the movie is that the song is already written before Which the movie starts. Which shocked me. Yeah. I, I did not think we were going to come in media res where that thing you do exists already uh-huh. in a different I form, think... albeit. Yeah. But I was just like, I, oh, I... okay. It's not about the song and being I... written. All right, let's let's talk about the song because I, I want to talk about the song. Yes. Um, 
I I maintain this is the best song ever written for movies or TV. Um, personally, and here's he, I um I know you don't necessarily agree, and that's fine. I'm not saying you have to agree, but here's here's my argument. Um, I've seen this. I I saw this. I saw this. A lot of people saying this when um and his Adam Sussler unfortunately died in 2020, very early into the pandemic from COVID. Um, but that song gets played like in it, in its full entirety like eight or nine times during the movie, and you never get sick of it. It's it they they. They make it so that you have to you you want to hear it every single time. You can pick out the individual parts of it really well. It works as the slow tempo ballad versus the fast tempo song. It sounds so totally period accurate. Like a lot of, like people have thought that that was a real song that that was on the radio in like the sixties, which it wasn't. Um, yeah, I think that I I just think it is it is it is a perfect encapsulation of what the movie is trying to say while also just being a really really good song. I agree. It is a very good, uh, I think the word would be pastiche of music from that era in the sense of it is written in the structure, in the sound, in the, you know, chords, all of those things sound exactly like they're from this era. I did, my comment, I think a little bit was, I was... Because it was in 64, now that I know the exact year, I knew it was the early, earlier 60s yeah. compared to the late 60s. I thought the sound sounded a little little bit like 50s, but then I remember, and when I, I it, read on here, that it's trying to be more of early Beatles, Beatles. pop. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, because that's what yeah. they were doing. Uh-huh. Was I want, it's, it's, it's I want to hold sounds. your hand. Yes. It's, it's yes. It, it's love me do. Um, I mean, but I didn't get into the weeds. That didn't distract me from it because it, sure. it, it immediately sounds so... When we had the, we should talk about the evolution of the song within the yes. movie, where it yes. starts as a ballad. And when I heard it as the ballad part, I was like, oh, this is the song? And I'm like, why does this not ring yeah. for me at this moment? And I guess it's not what I thought it was. I'm like, well, it must change at some point. I guess that's when I knew it was written from the first part. And yeah. the way that it changes is, as you mentioned, um, Giovanni Ribisi plays the original drummer who is literally fucking around and falls over just on the sidewalk and breaks his arm. And at first I thought he was kidding because it just was so over the top and it looked like a nothing fall. And he was like, I'm like, oh, maybe he's trying to get out of drumming for some reason. But no, he just literally fucking broke his arm. (laughs) I was like, oh, Jesus. Um, So that is when, oh, what is Tom Everett Scott's character's name? I'm blinking all of a sudden. Guy Patterson. Guy Patterson, thank you. Guy um, fills in. And he's practicing, and then they get to the talent show, and they're setting the tempo, and then all of a sudden, Tom just starts going, and going really fast, and they're like, this is too fast, and they're playing along, and they're trying to match him, like, this is too fast, this is too fast, and then they just start going, and everyone on the dance floor starts freaking the fuck out like this yeah. is amazing this is great they're also it's a catchy song it's a catchy song they're also conveniently the last one up on the talent show so as soon as yeah, they're yeah, done course, they're like course, the yeah. winners clearly by our our scientifically accurate applause meter which is the guy with a sign moving it's, a, it's a, a lady needle. it's a lady, oh, a lady, lady yes. it's, she's a lady moving her arm back yes exactly and it's <laughs> like being oh how big it is you know and it clearly yeah. but it, you know in, within what we have seen before this is clearly the yeah, the biggest one on there. It's a hit. It's a hit. But, uh, uh, well, but they that's do, the change they, that makes it yeah. the hit that it is from a ballad right. to well, a to an up tempo number. 
Yeah, and they don't. This doesn't come out of nowhere. So we we are introduced the guy as a jazz. He's really into jazz. He's a jazz drummer. There's an early scene where he goes into his into the basement of the store and he's playing he's playing jazz drums, and when he goes to the practice in the garage. He, he's they're playing the song as the ballad and, and Jimmy's like slower it actually has to be slower and he's mm-hmm. kind of like rubbing up against this and you can kind of see the early the early um, bond between Guy and um, and uh, the guitar player by, played by Steve Zahn whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head um, they and, and, and so that when the um when they get to the talent show and he starts playing it at the much faster tempo the guitar player is like yeah no this is great let's just go because um, yeah, it's is it Steve Zahn the one who's like, oh, this I is I so. love this, yeah. Because yeah, the lead singer, yeah. um, the one that is dating Faye, yeah, he's the one that is protesting. Jimmy, Jimmy yes, he's protesting, and everyone's like, eh, let's just go with it. Um, uh, so that for me was when I realized, oh, okay, that's the evolution of the song. Is we see the pre and then we going through. I'm like, okay, so we do kind of see the evolution of it. I just was expecting it more to be like. This, you know, the traditional, I guess, when we see in a music thing where we see the creative and, oh, this thing inspires this and then this person adds this element. Right, and yeah. the song comes from, like, this nowhere wonder blast. But no, it was, it, it's the fact that, you know, Guy coming in was the secret for this one hit wonder, right. which right. when I knew it, there was, it was a band about a one hit wonder. I knew their name was The Wonders. I knew that Faye suggests one ders one one on e the old eaters. It took me until a scene where they're like I think they're having a record display or something, and I I just, it's, I just saw it literally spelled out wonder, and my mind went, oh fucking hell! He literally named the group like one a one hit wonder, like they're a wonder, and I'm like, yeah, this is yeah. so on the nose that I wanted to hate it. Well, it took me this long to figure it out. So it is, it's yeah. it's pretty dumb clever. I mean, the fact that they're called the Wonders at all when you know that they're going to be a one-hit wonder is like, it's it's like you said, it's not subtle, but I think it's endearing in a way. Like, I think I think this movie has so much charm to it. Yes. It's earnest. There, That's yes. when I remembered, okay, this is a Tom Hanks. He's the, the humor he's writing in is about the earnestness and the love for yes. it, but also a little bit of commenting on the hokiness yeah. of the time there's, yeah, there's, it's of course. like especially everyone who's not involved in the rock stuff which you know early rock like it's not that heavy yeah um are all just it's all hokey it just shows yeah. how the it was funny to me in a sort of I, there was a moment where i thought to myself oh this is the area where people want to go back to and make it great again and it's the hokiest like most uh-huh. homogeneously bland culture that yep. we see outside of like once they're on tour they start meeting like artists of color and yes. artists from different backgrounds that have different sounds and different things. And it's like, oh, right. A lot of these, the reason these bands were a huge hit is it was just exposing kids in the middle of nowhere who came from these homogenous, you know, post-war culture where it's all about just like, we want things that are safe and nice, getting yep. something raw and more, you know, energetic and powerful yeah. and spoke to their, you know, yeah the energy they had where it's like, what are we supposed to do now, you know, with our lives? Yeah. Like teenage crushes and sexuality stuff. Like, like you see that with how the fans just throw themselves at the, the band, like, in that sort of Beatles mania style, I really like the sequence where they play the state fair. Then they have to get they're they're going to go fly to California, so they have to get thrown in a cop car. The people are climbing on the car, mm-hmm. like all of that stuff felt like I, I I knew that that sort of thing existed for for bands like the Beatles back in the day. But I think it just it just 
it accurately depicts it without, I think, I don't feel like it romanticizes it too much. I think it's more just like, this is kind of what it was. It is. That's, and I think that's where sometimes I got frustrated with the film is that when it, so Slice of Life, just so the audience to be aware of, Slice of Life is an actual theatrical genre, which is really just taking a series of events, a short period of time, and just sort of, I don't want to use the word dispassionately to make it sound like, oh, there's not like a passion behind the art around it but the point of view is very much like these things just happened and it's us getting a glimpse into it it's not trying to make an artistic statement about that time about that place it's more of like hey let's just let's just do this story about this one hit wonder let's just like make up a fictional history make up all of this what and this was another thing that about the structure of the film that we can talk a little bit about it's something that always fascinates me maybe i'm more fascinated than other people I love when filmmakers set a place in a historic time period where that time period acknowledges the other cultural forces that are there, but within the movie, we never see any actual historical figures. It is all things that are made up to be like the things that existed at that time. So for instance, one of the, basically I think the the peak before they break up would be them going from, you know, their arc is, um, local hit talent show record being on the radio getting a tour deal doing the state fairs and then getting onto a variety like show it is an Ed yeah. Sullivan like show but yes. it's not Ed Sullivan they reference Ed Sullivan and that yes. but they but they get to this this thing it's like American experience something like yeah. I, I honestly can't remember what it's called um, I had I was thinking like in my head notes of all these things because I just every time they popped up it would be great. Like there was like a, a Temptations type group that just yep. had a generic name, you know. Um, but the, but the art, but these people obviously know who they are. Like oh my gosh, it's the, this this band. Um, yeah. And so that was just sometimes too where I would be like, <laughs> they would get a little clever, and it was yeah. just like okay, Tom Hanks, I know that you know what you're doing. And yeah. I liked it, but again, every once in a while, it would be, I think just with the extended cut, we got a lot of, I think, somewhat unnecessary background. And we sort of got into the weeds a little bit with some of these things where I realized, like, this doesn't really matter. You can just show me the clips of them performing and just, like, get a little bit more to it and, like, cut some some of this, this um, uh, what would be the word, track that we're laying out uh, I mean, for it. I actually, I actually think... Uh, so in the theatrical cut, pretty much all of the performances are exactly the same. It's it's really the around performance stuff that really gets added and enriched with the with the director's cut. And so, I I actually wonder if you would like the the theatrical cut less because it is it is it is more focused and very heavily on the performances. But it, that's what I guess where maybe that's what I was trying to say is to get to the performances quicker. I think and maybe what I meant is not say the stuff around like the production element, but like the getting to it, like uh, between yeah. some of the, the gigs and everything like that. But also at the same point, I, I liked that thought was put into all of this. I always appreciate yeah. world building yeah. uh, on a base There's level, a ton of world building in there's, this. Yeah. There is so much world building within this, you know, just the, yes. all the different reference, again, all the right. different references to things within this world that were created specifically to be analogs to real life stuff yeah. my guess is to make production costs cheaper so they didn't have to license any of the well, actual artists for it and or, or yeah, but, but, tom hanks I, I just think, enjoys doing this 
Yeah, I think I think uh, like he he named his production company Playtone after this movie, and so I think he really did just enjoy getting to make up all this stuff. So it's like because you've got Playtone the the record label, yes. you've got this idea of the Playtone Galaxy of Stars and the State Fair tour. You've got all these other bands and acts who are referenced throughout the movie, not just not just during the State Fair. Like they they play one of the songs. I think Mister Downtown at the beginning of the movie. And it, and it cues it up for later in the movie when the, when when that guy shows up, um, and then, but then, then there's also like the um, Patterson's appliance store is is against Telemart, which is like which is like their department store. What like they they can't compete with them because yep. they're huge and stuff. There's there's all the stuff with the um, the local promoters of the of the shows like the Kevin Pollocks of the of it putting on like oh um, god the boss yes. Vic Koss. I messaged you when Kevin Pollock's character was in the scene. So he basically plays like a local DJ that's hosting a show, you know, in yeah. town, which has happened a lot. I mean, you still see DJs appear at sometimes these concerts yes. put on by radio stuff, but they were much more like there to be the variety entertainer themselves because a lot of them wanted to try and move up. But he had my favorite part was he had catchphrases where he would just drop them and the audience would know what he was saying. And to me, I lost my mind. Cause I'm like, oh my god. These sound exactly the, like the kind of out of context yeah. catchphrases that DJs had. That if you listened, you got them. But if you don't, you're like, I don't know what this is supposed to mean. It's- yeah, but that, but that also like with the with the jazz legends that guy is really into that comes that comes in a major part at the end of the movie. Um, even even the 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 movie that they are filming inside the movie. Oh my god, where they yes. are. Um, uh, Captain Geach and the Ship Shack Shooters. Um, no, it's not Beach Blanket Bingo, essentially, but it is no, that exact but it thing. Is. Yeah. Yes. And they're like, what are we supposed to be doing? The sound cut out. We're just supposed to mime and play along. They're doing the dialogue. Oh, okay. It's so funny. Um, so yeah, so Kevin Pollock's catchphrase was, how are you sleeping? And the audience is like, woo! And I just laughed. <laughs> I'm like, this means, that doesn't mean a fucking thing, but I just love that again. Tom oh, Hanks just yeah. on his hyperbar probably being like, what's a good, ooh, how are you sleeping? Yeah. And the audience yeah. just claps. Um, yeah. But but again, those are the little details. The little details that get added yeah. that make this world feel like I've really felt like I was just stepping into a place where I wasn't having right. to question yeah. anything that was really going on, no, which maybe what frustrated me. Maybe what frustrated me is that I didn't have more questions. And so I am just watching something play out yeah. because there's no mystery. Yeah. There's no mystery. It's not like there's a... Yeah, our uh, characters were trying to figure out like the intention. Like a, a turn or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because especially like even early on with the relationships, getting back to Charlize, um, her arc is she's dating um, guy at the beginning, and then we see her go to the dentist. And when she goes to the dentist, there's this scene where she kind of sees him come out, and he's this like chiseled, handsome guy, and you get right yeah. away, oh, she has the hots for the dentist. So yes. something's going to happen that gives guy the excuse to be able to leave. Her because her interests are waning but it happened really early before we even got some of the development of like the radio stuff and all that so i was watching yeah. all of this movie just knowing well they're gonna break up no despite the fact knowing that they're gonna break up because clearly we need yeah. guy and Faye to get together well yeah same yeah. thing with or with the lead singer and they gave the lead singer the out because there's a uh i'm trying to even think of what the analog would be for this but like a solo female singer who yeah. is like maybe like a Dusty Springfield esque type yes. soul singer, yeah. you know, who's a, like a Dionne Warwick or something. Yeah, yeah. um, um, uh, who should say is white though? Just I mean, just who do we don't think it's, yes. like a, it's just, because the character is also white. So I have the fact that it's not an, if it was an interracial relationship, there'd be a lot more details within that that would be going. 
But well, um, we get that we get that with the bass player and um, the, the the lady from the Chantrell. I say that is true, but they don't really. But but they do that at the end, and they really don't get into it that much. Again, that's part of the thing that I was like, oh, is this going to play into it? It's like, no, it just sort of happens, and in, in, in this nice world, that isn't you know an issue between you know these two for anyone. Um, at least not that we see, not that I can remember it. Um, and uh, but the th- but the thing with this soul singer is that she's maybe like what, 15, 20 years older than the lead singer? She looks like she's in her late 30s, early 40s, and he's, what, like, high, no, getting out of high school? Because it's a high school talent show that they're doing, right? Or is this a local talent uh, show? No, it's just, it's just like a, it's like a local okay, talent show. Okay, so like show. early, but it's still early 20s, and so that's supposed to be yeah. the bit of the, like, maybe controversy within it, but it's, again, it's not, there's no, no one comments on it. It was just something where I'm like, is this supposed to be a thing? The fact that she's older, but I'm like, no, I guess it's just the fact that he's interested in someone else, which let's Faye yeah. then open up and, and get on there. And there, there's, I don't know, this wasn't a lot of tension in trying to worry about how it was going to happen. I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to happen yeah. and we'll just move on. Yeah. Well, cause, cause I feel like it, it, it happens really organically. Like, like Jimmy, vacillates back and forth between being really unhappy that his artistic side is not being met like they're not recording extra songs he's not getting to do all this other stuff that he wants to do but then every time there's a big break like when they get on the radio when they go to California he is excited oh yeah he still wants to do the things but then he but then he's just like that tortured artist of like no I want to do things my way um and 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 so like when you get to the end of the movie where the band breaks up it's not a surprise you've seen this coming it's it's one of those things where it's like it was they probably should have broken up sooner but they kept it together just so they could have all these 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 fun experiences and the stuff with the stuff that um well okay i kind of want to i kind of want to go through the movie really quickly just because there's a couple other things i want to hit yeah um so they play the talent show um they get the local gig there's a riot at the local gig they get the um they get the local agent gus who's in a who lives in an rv um, he's like, I'm gonna get your song on the radio, and and then the song gets on the radio, and then they play, they play the, they, they start playing bigger shows, and then Gus takes Guy to a Chinese restaurant where baby-faced young Tom Hanks, he looks like a baby, he looks like a child in this movie. I I like because it's '96, so it's not. He already had reset, like he'd been gump by this point. But you're right. Somehow yes. he, I looked and I'm like, how do you look like? Barely older than Tom Everett Scott, who looks like a young you. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. You you asked me about that. According to Hanks, he didn't want to cast Tom Everett Scott because he looked like a young Tom Hanks, and I think it was his wife, yes. Rita Wilson, was like, "No, you know he's the best person for the role, and he's fucking incredible. He's great." Um, I definitely remember that being a thing, but I will also say, just like, yeah, just like. He, I love how he shows up halfway through the movie. He plays this very specific character who's very like authoritative but very fun. Um, but also he's um, he just looks like a he looks so young. I just can't believe it when I when I see it now. So his character, I don't want to derail you going through the film, but I do want to comment yeah. on Tom Hanks' character. And, and again, maybe part of of my watching this film and what I was expecting versus what I got. So when yeah. he comes in, well, first off, when Gus comes in. And it's like, oh, I'm an RV manager. I'm promising you all these things. I thought to myself, okay, well, he's going to take advantage of them. Nope. Right. Yes, no, exactly. He, he just promotes them and he actually is genuinely good. And then Tom Hank comes in and he's part of Playtone. And so I'm like, oh, here comes our Faustian person who's yes. going to manipulate them. And Gus is more or less like, oh, yeah, no, go with Tom. That's a great deal. So there's no tension there. And then yes. we meet with him and Tom does everything that he promised to try and do. 
and yes. helps them find a replacement when their basis goes to war. and Or not to war, but goes to be... Um, a part- goes to Disneyland with the Bereeds. Yes, yeah. yes. So he has to go to basic training and stuff and does that. And then is sort of there for them when it breaks up and is like, hey, this happens. But never, no ulterior motive. And in fact, in the yeah. in the longer uh, edition, we also learn that he is most likely gay and has partner oh, is gay. Howie Long yes. in a bizarre cameo. But uh-huh. you know what? I he, They played it well. There was a weird chemistry between the two of them. Oh, was there, was like, a, there was a chemistry. Especially when Howie was like, do we want to buy him along? I was like, no, yeah. don't, Bring you, him along. don't you dare. Don't <laughs> you dare try and corrupt this young Tom Everett Scott. And then Tom Hanks yeah. just like looks at him and goes, no, and starts laughing. Like, I was like, yes. that is, that is gay. That is very gay. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. It's, it's, I was it's 100% like, I believe gay. this. Yeah. It was That great. scene, that part with Howie Long is not in the theatrical cut. So the first time I watched the director's cut, I was like, this makes so much sense. Yes. Like, his his character has that kind of like really really good like really um, business acumen very, very very exacting like he always wears a nice suit he always says the same thing like um, he it's a great character and I, I love that Tom Hanks picked that for himself to play because it does it does feel like a, it, it does feel like kind of like a delight when halfway through the movie he shows up um, but yeah you're right uh, that was kind of what I wanted to get to is like very few things in this movie actually go wrong for them like. Pretty much any time there, you might expect to see. Oh, they get screwed over. Oh, someone steals their money. Oh, someone steals their song or whatever. Yeah, never happens. They, they, it doesn't. It's just, it's just like, it's just like all the right things could be happening for them, and they could still break up and, and explode in this way. But also, like when Tom Hanks is describing, when, when when Mr. White is describing at the end of the movie what he wants them to do, like you will record the thing you do in Spanish, you will cover these songs, and you will do this, and then and then we'll give you one song on each album, like. That is like better for better or worse. That probably would have led them to be a continued successful band, where they'd be playing at state fairs to this day, oh, honestly. Yes. Um, and and it's not it's, like maybe it's maybe it's um, um, predatory. It doesn't seem that predatory to me. It, I mean, it really didn't. Like, there's yeah. nothing about because you know there's no scene where they're talking about like. Oh, our finances are off. What's going on there? Or hey, we're exhausted. And no, you guys got to keep pushing out stuff. Like everyone just the, the the only tension comes from the internal slow deterioration. Because again, it's not it's not like there's firecrackers and a big explosive thing that kind of happens. I mean, they do hash it out, but yeah. it's it, it just sort of like everyone goes their own way, and that's just how it is. Yeah. And you know, thing everyone sort of ends up in a fine spot at the end of the film too. So even yeah. the people who leave, it's not as if oh they leave and their fortunes go down or something bad. It just is like yeah, they all kind of go and do their own thing. Yeah, I really do love the um the the way the the way the movie wraps up with the um, sort of like um Animal House style. Here's here's what happened to all of them. Like um jimmy ends up in a band that is successful where he gets to play his own songs and has a has a pun in the name the herdsman yes um because he was pushing wasn't he pushing for that name earlier on the herdsman he he was pushing for a bunch of those yeah 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 um the bass player whose whose name is the bass player that's the character's name weirdly um Goes 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 overseas and then ends up managing a store in Florida. Um, the guitar player ends up ends up owning uh, like running a casino in Reno, and then and then Faye and um, Faye and Guy end up married and they run a they run a music conservatory on Bainbridge Island in Washington, which is like the which is like bougie as fuck, and but also it's like 
Oh yeah, I, I, I like that is like the that is like the white person '60s dream to to do. Like that's the the desired end state. Well, and what we what we see for his um, instant uh, guy's instant uh, after the band sort of effect is, and this is something that's layered in at the very beginning of the film, as we mentioned. Yeah. he is a a, a jazz drummer. And he idolizes a specific um, jazz artist played by legendary character actor Bill Cobb. So when I saw Bill Cobb on the front of that album cover, I realized, oh, we're going to have fictitious things throughout all of this. Because I know you're not an actual jazz jazz drummer, you're you're a character actor. Oh, yeah. And so he then meets midway through the film... Yes. Where they meet midway through the film, when, after after they've gone to California, he's he like this. They're sort of scattered to the winds. They can do whatever they want. He goes to the to the the Lamar the um the um not valet but like sort of like the attendant uh or the concierge for the hotel. Yes. And he says, "I want to see really good jazz." And then Lamar asks him a very nerdy jazz question to be like, "Does this guy actually know jazz or not?" And then he sends him to the blue or the blue spot, which is like I guess an equivalent of a very famous jazz club in the 60s in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm not familiar with it, but he sends it there. And then, and, and he, he's just like, like guy is just like lost. And he like, he's like, it's not even, it's not even that Del Patterson is playing. He's just, he's just into it. And then you get this great, you get this great scene, like series of scenes with him and Tom Hanks's wife, Rita Wilson as this waitress. Oh my God. Yes. Who she, it's funny. She takes a moment and drops him off to, Tom Hanks and he's yes. like, "Hey, what are you doing with my boy?" And she's like, "I'm I'm doing you a favor by dropping him off. It may, you know, a couple more cocktails and he might have wound up home with me or something, something like that." Where she's yeah. so flirty with him the whole time, but clearly in a "You are too naive and young for me," like sort of, yeah, uh, not maternally way, but like you know, aunt way, you know. And so drops him. I off mean, I, and- I get the sense it was like it was the kind of flirting you get from like a waitress at a club like that. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, so then he goes back and then there's a point where they're in the recording studio and it's after, is it after they've already known that they're going to break up or in the middle? He basically goes and just starts playing a a drum set by himself in the studio out of frustration. Well, so, so what happens is they're in the studio to record their next song. Jimmy quits the band. That's right. With with his, with his iconic song. I quit. (laughs) I quit. Yep. I quit. Um, he storms off. Um, Mr. White's like, you guys are in violation of contract. No one's in trouble, but I'm going to have to kick you out of the studio and, and the hotel. And and then guy, and guy's just like, well, I'm in the, I'm in the studio. I might as well just sit down and play something. And yeah. Um, so, so, so uh, yeah, he sits down, he plays. And then Del Patterson walks in because he had, he had been introduced to Del at the, at the club. And, and that just like blows his mind. I really think it's really endearing the way he does the like, I'm such a huge fan, and I'm such a huge dork about it. Um, yeah, it, it really plays the, the the nerd fanning out, but it it never thankfully breaches an awkward moment where it's like, oh, and now I'm gonna like divulge too much about myself because I feel like I know you better than I do. Moment, it just is like, oh no, I really am a huge fan of your talent, and just talking about the specifics of his albums, his recordings, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And he pops in, and he's basically like, hey, I really like you're set. Can I yeah. come jam with you essentially? And he's yes. like, um, yes, please. And so, um, Dell's on the piano and guys yep. on the drums and the audio yep. engineers are like, 
we'll record this for you. Let's just do a one yeah. take, whatever. I'm getting, we're, I'm, we're, we're getting paid either way. So yeah. yeah. So he gets um, to record his his track, and he calls the oh my gosh, and what another amazing little role that I thought was just going to be a one scene thing, Clint Howard who is a oh, yeah. jazz DJ. At, I can't remember where it was, but it's someone they did an interview with on their way. And he's like, normally like, yeah, yes. I don't normally talk to bands like you all. I normally do the, you know, jazz stuff. And, jazz and Guy's character's like, oh, I, you know, like jazz, you know, and talks about it. So he calls him, He uh, Guy calls him up and says, you are not going to believe it. You're the only person that I know that's going to care about this even remotely. I just did a jam track with, Dell and I can't believe it. He's like, "Wow, hey, if he's still there with you, I if you if you can get an interview, have them just re- turn on like the recording stuff, see if you can sit down, get an interview with them, have it send it to me, you know, yes. it'll be great." And he's like, "Great. Oh, also by the way, uh, do you want to come be a, a late night DJ here at the station? I'm looking yeah. for someone to do like you know the something the, the, the midnight shift. shift. Yeah, I'll, and... I'll put you. I'll put you. On, I'll put you on seven days a week. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because he mentions that the band just broke up. He's like, oh, that sucks, man. Hey, well, you know, if you want something, yeah. so he ends like with everything he could have just wanted in that moment when his yes. one dream was was done. You know, and yeah. so it, it it is just so fun to get that moment for him there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 this idea that he went and like got to sit in with all these jazz legends who were just having like shooting the shit, and he's asking them questions, and he's recording it. That that was so. Um, in Dead Eyes, the podcast by uh, Connor Ratliff, he he calls out that like this is kind of like the first podcast almost where he's interviewing these people for these things. It's, it's very much like a like a Suns Turkle sort of or oh like God. like Ira Glass thing yeah. because it's like he's he's interviewing he's interviewing these people about this thing. And they're gonna play it on the radio. It's like yeah. Um, that is not in the theatrical in the theatrical edition. The the movie ends with him with Del Close um, suggesting that he become a studio drummer, like a like a session drummer. Oh, um, okay. And 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 so then you don't have the like extended part where they're playing and, and stuff and stuff. But it that that ending is good. But I really like the full ending. I think it's I think it's sweet. It, it kind of wraps back around into his love of jazz. And it really explains why that 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 through line is in the whole movie yes it really Um, does wrap that up neatly that's that's where again my only critique could have been some of these things wrap up too neatly but we're that's that's the story that we're being told and that's and i'm and i'm okay with that it it was just weird to watch a film where tragic shit isn't happening left and right (laughs) as i'm used to with so many films like that yeah um so I, yeah, I really appreciated all of the music that was in here. I think that thing you do for sure is the best song that is written for this film. Um, I, I, the, I did like the uh, Mr. Downtown, which I saw was written yes. by Tom Hanks. When I saw that, I'm like, this makes yes. a lot of sense. Because he was just yes. kind of wanted to make his own little like intro yeah. to a cop theme stuff uh-huh. that he grew up with kind of on there. Um, so... What I find interesting is that the the track itself actually did chart on the Billboard yes. Hot 100. It, it, it reached yes. 41. When the movie came out. So yes, it yes. wasn't you know the the highest track tower, but it just is. Right. It's interesting because there's it happens only occasionally that a song written for a movie actually yeah. breaks into pop culture 
where it's being rotated on on a track like that and also got yeah. non specifically where it's it, mm-hmm. where it's it's a song that is like endemic in the movie like someone yes. in the movie is playing the song not just like a song that was written for the movie yes. it on the radio yes, that's like what I say. they are performing the song yeah. like one of the, one of the other examples that i can think of in my head is the cup song from yep, from from pitch perfect yes, which was just a song that she was singing within the content it's diegetic to the thing that you're watching um yes uh, you know as opposed to something like as you mentioned a skyfall which is written for a movie but no one but in the movie is performing it at any it's point skyfall yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it would it'd be it'd be amazing if there was a scene where they just go to a bar and adele's just there singing it um but it would definitely break the, the reality of those films um yeah yeah i, I so I don't think I connected to this song as much as as you did, but well, me, this, me in America, but yeah, but at the same point, I it's funny because I while I don't agree that it's the in my head I don't want to agree with that it's the best song written for like in terms of the style of the film that's trying to present itself. I'm also struggling to come up with examples that are better than what this does. So it's it yeah. it does do it really well. I I don't want to make my like not connection to it make it sound like again I'm poo-pooing it I had I had the song pop into my head every now and then during it um yeah I, I, mean, I will say like I said, there was one moment uh, there was like maybe one moment where it played and I was like I I think I'm overhearing the song oh, okay but then okay. by the end but then by yeah. the end I had rounded back up to it again yeah yeah um the song was written by Adam Schlesinger who is um was in the band Fountains of Wayne. He was also in the band Ivy. Um, this was, I believe, the first thing he did for a like a, like a Hollywood or, 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 or TV or movie production. And then he made a, a, a long career of that. He wrote for mm-hmm. Josie and the Pussycats. He wrote for Music and Lyrics. He he famously wrote most like was one of the three songwriters for Crazy Ex Girlfriend, the TV show. Um, all all really good. But yeah, I think he, apparently he he heard the prompt, which was. You know, early '60s or um, '60s, early Beatles pop song with the title "That Thing You Do," and he just like he just laid it down like right away, like immediately. And um, I believe I remember hearing that like Tom Hanks and the the producers had listened to a lot of songs and they weren't sure what to do. And and then they heard this song and it was like, nope, that that's just it's just it. It's perfect. It's it's just like it's just great. And for what I'm seeing from it too, was that Adam wrote it. Not expecting it to be picked. It was literally like, yeah, of course. Can I do this? Like, I wonder if I can do this. And as you said, just laid it down, sent it in, not expecting anything. And then he was like, oh, yeah. okay, I, I guess that this worked uh, well. And, and I had known his name in connection to Crazy Ex Girlfriend. And when I heard yep. some of that stuff and saw some of his credits, I assumed that he must have been someone who came from. A com- had a comedy background within their somewhere. Oh, sure. Because yeah. the the way it was written, they yeah. were so on the nose with some of the styles and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is a person who's who who has an ear for it and wants to make things that sound like it, and comedy's a good way to lend to it. So when I learned that he was the basis for Fountains of Wayne, I was like, oh my yep. god, no, he backdoored yeah. his way into this. Uh-huh. This was just... Yeah. And, and I'm only learning now that this was it. That this is the movie that... Yep caused him to then go on that track because we've talked about him and Josie and the Pussycats um yes. which now thinking back to it is probably when you also first mentioned that thing you do and yep. laid the track for this episode yeah. to happen um yeah. 
Oh, I guess one thing we should mention about Charlie's uh, storyline, since this is, you know, she's an actress, whoa, and to talk about Charlie's. She ends the film with the dentist that was laid there earlier, but it oh, happens yeah. off screen. It's just meant in, yes. mentioned, oh, yeah, her, she's with the dentist now. They, she ended up together with him. And we, we see what maybe three scenes or four scenes of her going to the dentist. And every time it's like, oh, yeah, yes. I got to get an exam for one of these things. But we never, he, we never see him make moves on her. So it's not something obvious where it's like, oh, these well. are these are appointments because I want to get you in here to like, do something or whatever. It, yeah, it is but just there, like, no, I need these things done, and there's a chemistry. There is this. There is the scene where they're golfing together. Oh yes, no. At a certain point, it's obvious that these the it was initially for these things, and then clearly there was you know chemistry that happened afterwards. But I, I still want to send it up that these dentist visits were like, oh, we get a feeling of like something untoward. It's just oh, okay, this is gonna happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I. It's kind of just like a running joke in the theatrical cut, where it's like she's she just keeps she keeps having to go to the dentist. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. What's up with the dentist? Oh, she's with the dentist. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's that'll. Oh, I I do want to cover just real quick. There's a, there's a couple other like I guess like cameos in this movie. Um, a lot of a lot of people associated with Tom Hanks in this movie, specifically. Um. Paul Feig plays the plays the first DJ that they talk yeah, to. Yeah, I, um, I Clint Clint Howard plays the second DJ. Um, Peter Scolari, who is on Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks, plays the host of the of the the the, the American Teenage Bandstand, the American Bandstand equivalent show. Um, and then Brian Cranston plays the astronaut, who the only real life figure that is included in the movie, which yes. I thought was strange. Because yes. that is a real life person who died in the Apollo One uh, run, uh, launch pad disaster. So just to have yes. him be included as like a guy appearing on a Ed Sullivan type show for me, I was like, I is this poor taste? I don't know, but I guess most people probably don't no. even know who he is, and so whatever. I, mean, I just, I just I like. I mean. It's it's honoring him as an astronaut. It's not like making a winking joke that oh you're gonna blow well, up. Oh no, in three he didn't. I just yeah. I get, but knowing also that Tom Hanks made From Earth to the Moon, which was the documentary about Apollo missions stuff. Yes. I read. Oh no, he, I remember. No, he's just fascinated with this. This is him yes. being like, oh, it would be you know who's a cool person to have. Remember when astronauts used to be on TV and they do all these interviews because yeah. the novelty and stuff and like yeah. yeah, that would be there in the sixties and everything yeah. like that. And, and and also and also Apollo thirteen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, just just a couple more. Um, we talked about Rita Wilson as the waitress, uh, Marguerite. Um, Jonathan Demi, the director, plays the director at the at the move in movie movie. Yeah. Sets. he's the director there. Um, when Faye gets out of the out of the limo at the at the showcase, she is escorted into the into the theater by a young Colin Hanks. Yep. And and um, Tom Hanks's daughter is also somewhere in the movie. She's she's young, but I think she plays one of the fans uh, at in one of the scenes of the band. Yeah, I, the the ones except for the the daughter all were ones that popped out to me. Um, the, the Paul Feig one, it was funny because I'm like, how do I know this guy? I'm like, oh, he's he's yep. someone from like the night. What was he? I'm like, oh, Paul Feig. I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot he used to do acting stuff before yes. he became a director. And so I, I had seen him, you know, in those one off, you know, side character. I appear in one or two scenes in a movie kind of roles. Um, but yeah, a lot of just. People popping up for one scenes where I was like, oh, 
Tom Hanks, I, I don't know if it was calling in a favor or just giving a buddy a favor, but yeah, like learning afterwards, I'm like, I think oh, that was Jonathan Demme. out with his friends. That was the yeah. director. And I was like, I guess I don't know what Jonathan Demme looks like. So of course they didn't notice him. But did Jonathan Demme and him do, oh, Philadelphia, right? Did Jonathan, I so, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I just popped in my head. I was like, I I know blank check cover Jonathan Demme. He was also, uh, oh. he was also a producer on this movie. Oh, I didn't know. Well, that would also make sense why uh, he yeah. popped in right away there. But yeah, I, yeah. You know, I I think I, I think if I'd seen a theatrical cut, I probably would have liked it better as just a movie. But in terms of world building, I think that I appreciated so much more watching the extended cut. Um and sure. really getting a good glimpse of young Charlize, seeing where she started, but also seeing she's already a fully formed actress in her own right who can do what the assignment is but isn't yet the charlie's that we think of when we think yeah charlie's i mean and this character is not i think what we think of i think we think of like charlie's roles tend to be very serious very very um, um authoritative or very like um um, coming from a coming from a place of of gravitas, mm-hmm. whereas this is really like a flighty sort of like, it's the sort of thing that I feel like if it were made ten years later would have been like Reese Witherspoon, who who tends to play more flighty, uh, more feminine characters yes. than I think Charlize does. Yeah, and 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 very aloof too, which Charlize is rarely aloof, you know, within her characters um, and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's I want to I want to talk I want to talk before we 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 wrap about. Liv Tyler, um, she plays Faye in the movie. I think, I think this, I personally think this is the best Liv Tyler performance. I love it. I think that the character could be sort of, it, the character doesn't get a lot to do. She's mostly there to, to, to sort of help the band and pine after Jimmy. But the way that she's able to build the connection with Guy throughout the movie without it seeming like, it's not like they're going to make out at, at any point in the movie yeah. until the end of the yes. movie when they break up. And so, so she's able to really thread that needle of like having this like amazing friend slash romantic chemistry with Tom Everett Scott, but then also playing this character straight. Um, and then, and then she looks incredible in that dress at the, in, 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 at the showcase. And then when she, um, when she is essentially dumped by Jimmy in the backstage after the performance, because, because they put on the thing that, that they're engaged, even though they're not, um, that scene, I think, it's it's a little cloying. Like the dialogue is cloying, but I think I think there's something about her that really sells that performance really well. Yeah, every I think it comes back to the the earnestness of the characters throughout yes. and how well they're all playing it. You know, none of, none of them were I think the exact age of the people within the film. Right. Lift's probably the closest to it, but they all really have the the energy of youths that have the world before them and both appreciate the situation that they're in but are struggling still to figure out who am i what do i want creatively creatively out of life out of all these things and i think Liv does the best at we we see her trying to or i'm trying to think of the word we, we see her still finding joy in the situation that isn't the best and trying to make the most of it. But, you, but you're right in that she's never presented as like, oh, the temptress who's here to break up the band or whatever. Like, no, yeah. both her and Guy are faithful 
to their partners up until the end where it's obvious, right. oh, yeah, they've both left us for other people. So I guess now we're free to see if this, you know, it could be a romance. We're good friends. Maybe we're more. Yeah, totally. Um, I think th I think that'll that'll wrap it up for this first episode of She's an Actress. Whoa! Um, next on our list is a very very um, dramatic turn from from that thing you do. Uh, the next movie we're gonna watch is Monster. Oh my gosh! Yes, we are going right away to a. Uh, probably the biggest Charlie's role, especially in terms of, you know, the turning point of, of, of us knowing who Charlie's is as Charlie's. And this is one where I've not seen it. I cannot remember. Have you seen it? I have not. Okay. So this is going to be both of us also just tackling this story for the first time too. Yeah, and, and this movie is a movie that I've been meaning to see forever, I think partially because I know that the character Charlize plays, who's based on a real-life woman, is a lesbian, and, and, you know, I love lesbian cinema. But I think I think the um, the seriousness of the of the, the material has has kept me from watching it. So that and and honestly that's why we're doing this podcast is so that we can, you know, find ways to expose ourselves to things that we otherwise want to watch and have an excuse to to talk about it. And yeah, I'm really excited to watch. Uh, me too. I, I I will just agree with you. I, I think at the base of that I have the exact same reason. It just seemed very heavy of a topic and movie to go into. And that's not always what I want to dive in, but this is Part of this is to be like, you know, I like Charlize as an actress. Why haven't I watched these films of hers that I, you know, that are big in her career and everything like that? And honestly, I get to it and like, yeah, the subject material is probably what what keeps me from from some of these is just worrying about what am I going to see? What am I putting in my eyeballs? But I'm going to put some Charlize in there and enjoy. And Christina Ricci, too, correct, right? I believe so, yeah. yes. All right. Um... So that'll do it for the first inaugural episode of Charlize Theron. She's an actress. As we always say to end the episode, I quit. I quit. I quit. Should we invite Alice along? <laughs> nah. Hey, how you sleeping? <laughs>